I'm rather busy. Now he's going to move like right along to McGregor. That's his whole life. You know. So I feel that Endgames was slightly unfulfilling, and I'm not sure if that's my problem or that it was an unfulfilling episode, but I would like to work through these feelings because, uh, I don't know, certainly there were a lot of exciting moments on it, but it didn't feel like the payoff that uh, the previous episode deserved. Yes, I, I am here for you. The okay. listeners are here for you. Thank you. Uh, do not worry. We will get you through this trying time. So, yeah, I, I, well, I guess my question, I, I, I guess this is a lead up to my question of when people say, oh, Chris Carter, is this the kind of thing that they're meaning? Um. Well, elaborate on that a little bit. Well, it just doesn't feel like it felt like they were going to answer some questions. They didn't answer any questions and it just kind of ended. I. I didn't yes yeah i, I, I all, all all that is correct i i didn't feel like it was a prop uh, well i i think that what what you're getting at is is the x-files going to be the type of show that has a coherent meta plot and gives you answers and the answer is no uh and and i've i've kind of you know said to you before yeah like, don't get too invested in the mythology because while I think it's pretty entertaining and hangs together fairly well up until like the fifth or sixth season. After that, it becomes kind of a mess. And that's not really why people like the X-Files now. It's it's the kind of thing where the X-Files partially got really successful because of this. This was the kind of thing that a lot of television shows weren't doing in the mid 90s. And this was a singular thing. It was something that it was known for. And, And it was kind of that lost phenomenon where... I I think in a way you could argue that the X-Files was the lost of the 90s because, you know, Lost was a very, very sort of weird genre show that became fairly popular and, and big on the strength of the central mystery. Similarly to how something like uh, Twin Peaks, for example, uh, which was a contemporary of the X-Files, uh, you know, in a way, mm. it was was kind of popular on the strength of that central mystery as well, of who killed Laura Palmer, and then the show kind of fell apart because uh, nobody that was making Twin Peaks really understood how to make television. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and so I think in a similar way, the X-Files, you're starting to see... Because this was when the X-Files was... I think starting to get some traction, it it had good reviews in the first season. It had good reviews in the second season. I don't remember when it moved to Sundays. I think it was the fourth season. So we're still a ways off from that. Okay. That's kind of like the golden era of the X-Files, like seasons. I would say seasons three through six are probably like the golden era of the X-Files. So we're starting to get there. But yeah, this is- yeah you're right. Like Endgame is just kind of what did I just see in a way? Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, I-, I guess maybe it would be I – feel- I feel like this is trying to tell uh, – the-, the biggest problem with Lost is that it was never sure whether it wanted to be a character drama or a – science fiction plot and it kind of hedged its bets bets and in the end wasn't very good at doing either um i almost wish i i i feel like they are work the mythology i can see starting to fall in love with its own complexity eventually and not really knowing what to make of again it's not sure i i'm not sure what anything in this episodes have had to do with purity control and i think it might have forgotten about that already i think it forgot about the original deep throat uh, already i uh a- 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 and 
and yet it keeps adding elements in order to I wish it would put up the pretense and put I wish it would dispense with the pretense and say, "Oh, there's aliens out there and maybe there's an invalian Asian of Earth and all of these aliens are connected to the big invasion." Would be much more simpler and but I think more effective than and, and I don't I I, I don't well, know. Am I arguing that the X-Files should have been simpler? I don't know. <laughs> well, maybe, I don't know. I mean, I think that you're going to have to see where that goes because, you know, this is still fairly early in the That's mythology the other thing. and I, I Yeah. I think that there are really good mythology episodes to come, but but on the whole, you know, the the mystery was really the central point and and kind of the promise of answers. And and I just I guess I just keep wanting to tell you not to get too invested in that because there really aren't any or the answers that are there are kind of satisfying up to a point and then it does kind of fall apart because you know key to this is the kind of thing where i look at this and i look at this from a science fiction genre fan perspective and i say okay what aliens are there exactly yeah because we've already had established with you know in in the first season of the x-files that let's call them grays because that's kind of the standard you know terminology for those types of aliens with the big head and the, you know the big eyes big black eyes and they don't wear clothes for some reason um and and or then maybe we they also are clothes maybe they are uh maybe it's a suit um <laughs> but then also like we have the the alien bounty hunter which is referred to i believe as an alien bounty hunter uh who has come to earth in a spaceship which has landed in the arctic which is this whole other thing going on with this um submarine and but he's not a gray so what is he he's a shapeshifter is he a different alien species but they keep calling them aliens so there's no like real indication of like what exactly is going on here it's all this sort of nebulous alien stuff and and, and just you know quickly in fearful symmetry is a an alien episode does that have anything to do with the larger plot i mean that that alone is just a that's not a meta plot episode i wouldn't count it as one but what about the um uh yeah, I don't know. Well, because I think in a way, you know, Chris Chris Carter is not a sci-fi guy. Yeah. And, you know, I it, this is kind of a weird comparison, so just go with me for a second here. But I, I compare this to something like Stargate SG-1, which is – it's an entertaining show. I would never suggest that we do it on Tuning In because I don't think that it would be – we wouldn't get anything out of an episode by episode uh, look at that show. But I did see the entire thing. It's got this really complicated backstory about all of these different alien species. And, but the thing is they, they have put the time in to give them different names. We know that they're different species. We kind of know what the, the history the politics, the culture of it is, even if it's not completely fleshed out and really in depth, Um, you know, we're not talking about like game of Thrones here or something, but it is the case that in a show like the X Files, it it seems like it was enough to just say, well, they're aliens, but yeah, but, but they seem to be different species. So what exactly is going on here? And these alien human hybrids that ha- you know, it turns out, of course, that this is not uh, uh, Mulder's sister, um, which you know, surprise, surprise. But it, it is the case where you look at it and you say, okay, well, it, are these alien human hybrids from the species that are also the shape shifting bounty hunters? It seems like it because they both have the green. Um, the the green blood that is you know toxic to humans, <laughs> but then what are the grays like? Are they a separate like what what's going you know, on here exactly? There's something very axe cop to this entire proceedings. Like so far, it, it, it's it's just that it. A sh- I think that's a brilliant analogy for the X Files. Actually, um, you know, you, you, certain 
certainly some shows have a deeper world building than others. Um, the degree to which Babylon 5 was pre-planned ahead of time or not is up for debate. Uh, but but I think it is very clear that... Before- and I guess pour one out for Sensei, J. Michael Straczynski oh, strikes again. Yeah. Um, be- but, be- you know, before Babylon 5 had you know, started production, there was, they knew what the major species were. They knew what kind of their cultures were like. A show like Deep Space Nine, you you have some work done in uh, from Next Generation and Original Series, and this is building on that. Uh, X-Files, it doesn't see, it, it, it's true, it doesn't seem like they figured out, all right, well, there are these different factions in the FBI. There are these different, I mean, if if somebody wanted to reboot a very an X Files ripoff type show, they would sit down and say, "All right, here are the shadow groups within the government at this point. Here are their heads. Here's what this you know. Here are the various alien species. Here's what's going on with that. Here are certain other mythological monsters and how they are or are not connected to the that kind of a thing." Yeah, because I mean, I look at a show like Timeless, which was a new show that was on NBC last season, and it was this. Um, I think it it owes a lot to the X Files actually because it is a procedural. It is uh, uh it's got a, a humor to it. There's a lot of one liners and quipping going on, but it's also very serious. The characters kind of have yeah. this uh, interesting chemistry. There's three of three main characters. There's also this like really elaborate meta plot going on about this secret society named Rittenhouse that they're trying to stop and this kind of stuff and. But but it all hangs together a lot better, and I think yeah. that's kind of what you're seeing now is that there's less uh, – I, I think there's less um, tolerance or patience on the part of audiences for mysteries that don't seem like they're well-constructed. And I yeah. think that what you're seeing is that The X-Files is just a – it's a it's a more primitive example of this sort of storytelling. And now, if you look at this episode, if you look at End Time and, or End Game and, of course, Colony last week – as a part of a story that is still unfolding, I think it was probably satisfying at the time. I, I, I think that that maybe it's not satisfying for you because it, you know, it's it's twenty years later, yeah, and it it seems messier and it seems less well thought out than television shows now. So there's just less. I think there's less of a tolerance on your part for it. And 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 you know I'm not saying that that's even a problem. I think no, that no. that's probably a good thing. But but I will I will say that if my uh, if my if my response to End Games was well all right then um my response to Colony was I really am curious what's going to happen. You know the uh, the. For like, for example, the Mulder, which is the real Mulder stuff, is dispensed with within a minute. Like that, that I thought was going to be a big source of tension. I thought that was going to be a very interesting episode. Um, things like that, and I, I, well, I think that that I mean, in 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 the sense of who is the real Mulder, I think that was probably just set up as a cliffhanger to yeah. get people to come back next week, and you know, maybe they could have dragged that out a little longer. I don't know. But in in terms of the actual, like, what we find out in the episode Endgame in terms of the meta plot, the only thing that we really find out is that the alien blood contains some sort of virus. That's the only thing that we know. And and we I guess yeah. we also find out that there is this sort of, like, alien-human hybrid thing going on. There's a, a faction of aliens that is are sending a bounty hunter to Earth because they don't like this idea. Because it dilutes the purity because i guess the aliens are nazis so like you know it is very kind of 
it just it, it it it's hard to talk about because I think it's fundamentally designed to not be satisfying because they want you to keep watching the X-Files. Again, well, I guess the question is, so you have a mystery, right? And the audience says, oh, I wonder what the solution to that mystery is. And the author can either say, well, you've got to follow the clues and, you know, next week we're going to reveal it and, you know, oh, you're going to be released. Or I could say, yeah, I don't know either. Let's, let's, let me, let me just cut. I, I, X-Files, I get the sense has the reputation for being the latter in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right, actually. And again, what I loved about Lost, and I, I, I've always said I don't, I think it's too late to watch Lost at this point. Even, even though some of, even though when it was at its peak, it was a very good show. Uh, because what I loved the most about it was the theorizing and the, you know, I had a bunch of friends who liked the show, and we all talked about, oh, what does this mean? Oh, let's write down the clues and stuff like that. And I can see. That being a lot of fun with the X-Files, if we were watching this then, we would be saying, oh, well, what does this mean? And let's write this down in our Project Purity notebook. And Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, another piece to, to the X-Files that we've never really talked about is that, you know, this was one of the, the first television shows kind of on a similar way to how Babylon 5 got popular that really had a lot of attention placed on it on the Internet. And and yeah. the fact that, that people were posting on um uh, I even forget what it was called, like the the old listserv form or whatever. Usenet type of thing. Use yeah, Usenet or whatever it was. Yeah, like that kind of stuff was really popular with the X Files, and there was a lot of speculation on the internet about you know who these alien bounty hunters were, who the aliens were, what was going on. I mean, you know, who... it's tailor made exactly for this because some of the characters they even meet, the lone gunmen, are the people who are on Usenet groups doing conspiracies. So they're doing this about the show. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and so it I think you're you're seeing the ways in which the X-Files has not aged well. But I mean, I don't know, moving aside from this sort of meta conversation yeah. about the X-Files, what what do you actually make of Endgame as an episode of television? I mean, well, it's got some good scenes, but overall does it hang together for you? I guess a slightly different question to answer is what one gets out of this episode. And I, I think for me the significant scenes are Skinner. Uh, I, I think sure. what is uh, I think Scully's monologue about how she has this faith in science at the end of the episode, and also Mulder saying at the end that he's finally reg- regained his faith. I think these are the if the if and I think the reason that I still did like the episode, despite what I've said, because even if the answers were weren't satisfying, I think thematically what what the characters got out of this experience, I think was worth it. I, I would agree with that because I, I do think that there's a lot of character stuff to talk about in this episode. And whatever you think about the plot, yeah. whatever you think about about the the, the events of the episode, I, I do think that. You know, Scully has a nice little character beat in this episode. Mulder obviously does. And I also think I, I like Skinner in this episode a lot because we talked about Skinner last week, you know, specifically about what is his agenda? What is really going on here? You know, he's dressing Mulder down again. Mulder seems to think they have some sort of understanding, well, but but Skinner doesn't seem to think so. And then now in this episode, he is assaulting Deeper Throat and trying to help Scully. So what is going on here with him? Well, I, I mean, Skinner feels... I- I love how personally betrayed by Mulder Skinner feels. I mean, at the very beginning of the episode, uh, when Skinner appears and this is, you know, they need to deal with the hostage situation. Um, 
you know, he tells Skinner, listen, I can't explain. I need your trust. You need to help me. And he play, he plays the trust card and he gets it. Skinner gives him that trust. And then what does Mulder do? He fucks off and he goes on to uh, deal with matters on his own without telling him. And Skinner, when, when Scully goes into Skinner's office, he's pissed because he's put himself on the line for Mulder and he's not getting that same level of trust back. It, I mean, Skinner is completely right to be as pissed at that. He eventually does help out with the situation because, I, again, I think he is good aligned. Uh, but And he's going to do the right thing, and he's going to... He ultimately does want the truth to be revealed. Uh, but and also, don't cross Skinner, because he will fuck you up, apparently. <laughs> yeah, no, he's a bit of a badass. So, so but... The one thing that always strikes me about this episode is is Scully going to Skinner's office because have we seen her in Skinner's office before? I, I don't. I think maybe once, but I don't know that she's ever been there without Mulder. Yeah, I, and that seems like kind of a turning point for her because it it really speaks to how invested she's become both in her relationship with Mulder and in the X Files. Yeah, my assumption is that in a way Skinner is Mulder's boss and Mulder is Scully's. No, not I mean Mulder's Scully Senior certainly, uh, if not her boss. So he would be the one doing the, the going, actually going into the doing the reports. I assume. Yeah. So yeah, that that is she normally doesn't. Have, but, w- which I do find interesting because again, Scully was the one called in by the higher ups, and she is certainly the more quote unquote presentable one. She's the one whose <laughs> reports I think they take a little more seriously. She is a little more adept at at least placating the higher ups when she when she needs to but but do you think scully is starting to get a reputation i mean it seems like she might be well, in the same way that Mulder has a reputation at this point at, at this point it is about two years that she's been on the exiles again she was starting to get a, a quote-unquote reputation in even in early episodes oh uh, remember with her douchebag friend who uh you know, said, "Oh, you're, you know, you're you're with Mulder. We need to rescue oh, you. Yeah. We need to rescue you out of this situation." And then, like, wait, oh, you're you're actually on Team Mulder, okay? And yes, certain certain aspects of his reputation are rubbing off on Scully, so to speak. And she uh, is also not even with the higher ups. She ha- she was expected to be the one to. Uh, give the reports that are going to shut down the X-Files so that they could do this nice, and she actually did the right thing, and so she is getting that, rep- she's getting a reputation for doing the right thing, but the ver- but not necessarily the political thing. Yeah, I think that's right, because one of the things that always strikes me about Scully at this point in the show is, is how invested she is in the X-Files yeah. and how attached she is to Mulder, and I think a lot of that speaks to the, the fact that she thinks that this work is valuable and important and that no one else is going to do it. Um, I also just think that, that we can't discount the the fact that Mulder and Skinner, Mulder and Scully just, just like each other. Yeah. You know, they, they get along, they work well together. They, they like spending time together. And so they, I mean, of course we've, we've talked before about the, the FBI partner relationship and how you really have to trust your partner. You have to, because you have to rely on your partner in life and death situations yeah. and these sort of things. And that is a, a very singular type of relationship that I don't think that either of us could really speak to because we don't have any experience with that type of relationship. Um, but it is the case that I think that their relationship is very much in that vein. And, you know, when she goes to Skinner's office to, to kind of, I think she, she soft sells him at one point and then she tries to, to kind of get a little bit harder with him about telling 
him, tell, you know, asking Skinner where Mulder is. And, and what Scully doesn't know is that, you know, it's, he didn't tell Skinner where he was going. Yeah. So, so he doesn't know where he is. And, and I mean, Skinner is obviously offended and I think angry with Mulder for putting him in this situation, which is probably why he, he takes some of it out on deeper throat. But it, it's also the case that I think he wants to help Mulder yeah. and he, he wants to help Scully as well. He knows how valuable they are. And I think Skinner is definitely on Team X-Files. Well, put it this way. You don't get that upset at being betrayed by somebody if you don't have an extraordinarily close feelings toward uh, of loyalty with that and trust yeah. I think too yeah and again yeah Skinner had his trust in Mulder and that was betrayed so you know yes he is going to want to help him because he felt that strongly about him yeah yeah I think so now the other thing that you mentioned that I, I think we should talk about is is you know kind of Scully's end line about yeah. her, her faith in science getting returned and then Mulder's faith in in the X-Files I guess getting returned um what what do you think that there's anything related to those or are they separate phenomenon? Well, I think this is going with you saying, you know, Scully is very invested in the X-Files and she sees she she is very much the science as a candle in the dark kind of uh thing if we are dealing with something lovecraftian and horrific science you know more knowledge is not going to drive us insane more knowledge is going to be able to deal with and understand and combat these things if necessary that is scully's faith in science that uh this this is going to be supernatural this is outside the realm of our experience this is something we've never seen before but we can analyze anything, right? We we can look at it, we can observe it, we can figure out how to measure it. It may be beyond our capabilities at this moment, but ultimately, at least according to Scully, at least according to her at this moment, it can be understood. All of the stuff in the X-Files happened. Again, it, no, we, we may not understand what happened, but a victim exists. There is a body. Somebody died. And using science and the investigative process, Scully believes we can find that. Meanwhile, for Mulder, um, Mulder finding, I think the unknown in some ways gives Mulder hope, right? That if, if he doesn't have a definitive answer, his sister may still be out there and he may be able to help her. He may be able to help other kids whose sisters are being kidnapped, you know, prevent them from being in that same situation. He may be able to stop these things but he does view he is getting faith in his ability to at least combat these things and understand them and find them i mean most people are not willing to admit this existence yeah no i i think both of those are right and and you know the only things i'll add to that is is for for scully i think part of the reason why she is getting her faith in science, you know, why that's restored or why, well, maybe not restored, but just kind of strengthened is, you know, the fact that she has been really challenged for the past couple of years in terms of her beliefs and in terms of, of how she approaches her investigations. And I think even to the core of who she is. And, you know, the fact of the matter is she is able to help Mulder by doing the work, by doing the groundwork of, oh, there's a virus in this and blah, 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 you know? And so she is able to go to that medical facility at the beginning of last week, the end of this week, 
and you know basically tell that doctor look you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing listen to me i know what i'm doing this is a uh, theoretical thing that has put into practice and i need to be able to help this person who uh, i you know i, I yeah. respect and like and love and i think for the you know for molder um in in a strange way i think that this clone not being samantha you're right has made it a better situation for him because the possibility that she is still out there is is paramount in his head and he's still you know Mulder is someone who's never going to be satisfied Mulder is not someone who yeah is he he always needs a mystery he needs something that he needs to strive for and it has been his sister for so long that you know he almost seems a little bit um catatonic in this episode at yeah. some points because he just thinks oh my god my sister's back what does this mean and his parents also seem that way and you know when he calls his father to his his uh, apartment and to tell him that it's not samantha i think that's kind of a weird scene because i don't know what when he tells his mother or why he didn't just go up to martha's vineyard to tell them instead of having just his father come i don't know maybe the actress wasn't available <laughs> that week maybe his father but, lives in washington closer to Mulder. oh that could be yeah yeah that could be um that both of them do seem, I don't know, they, they both kind of seem a little, not happy necessarily, that's not well, really Samantha, but but relieved in a strange way. I guess in a way, you picture, I, it feels like in Mulder's mind, when he finally does meet Samantha, there's going to be that click, right? He's going to finally, there will be music and, you know, lights and it'll be beautiful and he's going to be finally reunited with the sister and... They didn't feel any of that with this Samantha, you know. I it, it, it's almost as if he kind of knows that something is off. This isn't her. It doesn't feel right. You know, I don't have that. It, he, he, I mean, maybe uh, uh, Samantha is so special to him. And yes, whatever the real Samantha is, she may be a letdown because she is this idyllic figure at this point. But certainly, the Samantha that we met, that was the clone, wasn't it? Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I think that's really the central mystery of the episode at the end of it, though, is is that's why, you know, if this episode isn't completely yeah. successful because you're not that invested in the, the answers to these mysteries or, well, the non-answers, I guess, it, it is still connected to the characters. Yeah. And, and that makes it interesting only for that reason, I think. Yeah, I would say so. So, so the last thing I'll mention before we move on to Fearful Symmetry is uh, this was written by a man named Frank Spotnitz. And he becomes uh, someone of, of okay. importance to the show. He he kind of, I think this was, I think he was hired to replace James Morgan and Glenn Wong, I believe, or Glenn Morgan and James Wong. I always forget which is which. Uh, and he becomes a producer on the show, and he kind of becomes instrumental in like kind of developing okay. the the show going forward. So you know, just keep an eye out for his name. Okay. And there's also another person whose name you'll know that is coming up, I think, uh, next season or the season after. What is it? It's a little man named Vince Gilligan. Ah! Got his writing start on the X-Files, I believe. All right. I'm I'm really curious for his episodes. They are very interesting, and I'll just leave it at that. (laughs) Uh, All right. Let's talk about Fearful Symmetry, which I think I like. I, I, I... As far as a stupid monster of the week episode was, when I realized that this episode involved an invisible elephant, I was like, I'm all in. Like, this is this is it. This is great. Uh, it's the kind of cheesy message episode that I don't think I can hate. And 
I like Mulder and Scully in it. So again, uh, as far as Friday night entertainment. Yeah. Cause I, I think it's really instructive to compare an episode like fearful symmetry uh, uh, to an episode. Like what was the voodoo one we talked about last week? Fresh bone. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, because they're both supernatural procedurals and, but fresh bones was kind of a mess and fearful symmetry works. And I think fearful symmetry works because yeah, it's got a lot going on, right? It's got this, mystery of of the who is abducting these um who is abducting these animals there turns out they're pregnant uh you've got the whole thing with the zoo being shut down you've got the the thing with the um animal rights organization who they have a secret history together yeah. with willa and the guy kyle you know there's all this stuff going on there's a murder that's be- completely mundane right but it but it all works because it is a logical progression from point a to point c or d and it's not overstuffed i think it 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 all kind of hangs together well and you know if it does that classic sort of almost cliched x-files thing at this point at the end of it where it doesn't really get resolved and the way they resolve it is to have Mulder or scully do a dramatic voiceover (laughs) like i don't know it worked for me i think that and you know part of it too is that uh uh this was kind of ahead of its time like the idea of zoos as something that are very very terrible for the animals was obviously something that had been percolating in in uh, uh, those kind of circles for a long time but you are starting to see zoos closing and you are starting to see people say you know what zoos just yeah. shouldn't exist which i think was not even something that was on a lot of people's minds you know 20 years well, ago well i remember a few years ago which was the circus that closed was it ringling or barnum and bailey ringling yeah, yeah like, i think it was ringling yeah and, and i remember seeing uh posters on the subway when they were like in, when the circus was in town you know talking about like the abuse of ele- elephants specifically and stuff like that and you know nowadays there is more of a focus towards you know mimic the natural habitat as much as as much as possible give the end more about conservation and preservation rather than simply we're putting this animal in a cage for you to look at um at the end of the day if the episode is very wacky it's underpinnings you know zoos are kind of fucked up and we should not treat animals this way and you know maybe we don't completely agree with the with the extremist character, but he isn't that that crazy, especially considering. I, I mean, put him next to the lone gunman who appears in this episode. He does seem pretty. His points are very well reasoned, and all of that. Again, we may not completely believe that all zoos are bad. A conservation focused zoo may be a good thing. Uh but we can certainly sympathize with his argument again at the end of this the day you leave this episode saying yeah zoos like this are really fucked up and this should not be and i think if that's the point of the episode that's fine yeah because i i also think that the setting of this episode is really important because you know we don't talk a lot about where these particular episodes take place because a lot of the time it, it doesn't necessarily matter that much it just seems designed to have as much geographical spread as possible yeah but I, I don't think it's incidental that it takes place in, in Idaho. And, of course, this could have taken place in a lot of other, mm. you know, the, the states that, um, you know, Montana could have taken place in Kentucky. It could have, you know, a lot of different places. But I think it is important that it's Idaho because it speaks to sort of the, the and you know, if we have any listeners from Idaho, I'm sorry, but sort of the, the backwardness of the place in a way. Like, this is not a place that is necessarily people think of when they think of, like, the forefront of you know, mm. sociological change, cultural change, technological change. And and so for it to be this small town outside of Boise, which itself is not that big, uh, I think is important in a way that, that is probably not appreciated. Yeah, I think I 
I, I, I can't speak to any, any experience. I certainly know plenty of people who live in more rural areas that are more interested in preservation just because the land is right there and, and they act, they actively see. In, in, in other words, for me, you know, the, preserving the land is, is a bit more of a remote thing since I don't actually see the land. I don't know what it looks like. I can't touch it. Uh, Right. So I, I again, I guess, but it, I think this episode seems to suggest it is more of a uh, a matter of time in a way. Again, she specifically says, you know, this it was built in the '40s or the '50s, and this is how enclosures were then. And I'm hired to transition it, and uh, the activist seems to suggest that she's not doing as good enough of a job. Of course, this zoo is explicitly said to be financially strapped. There are you know, improvements that like that do cost money. They may not have the space for that, these, these kind of things. Yeah, exactly. I mean, a small zoo outside of Boise, Idaho is yeah. going to be financially strapped. What a shock. But Yeah, you know, no, they like, talk about I, the, the, this elephant. Well, I, I, but again, the, the the episode's point is, you know, this elephant needs X number of, you know, my, of land to roam in. If you are an, unable to provide that much land for it to roam in, you should not have an elephant, I think, is the part of the part of the suggestion. No, I, I think that's right. And, and the weird thing is I, I think about the the episode of The Simpsons where Bart gets an elephant yeah. stampy because in a, in a similar way, it was like kind of a similar time frame. Yeah. And it also had kind of a similar message to this episode, which is that elephants need a lot of room and they should just be yeah. out there. But I but I think that in terms of the, the character of Willa and the character of Kyle, it's kind of interesting yeah. because, you know, the episode doesn't really telegraph or call attention to the fact that they had this history they we you know Mulder and Scully find out by by finding this this newspaper clipping and then later on they say they were lovers at one point yeah. and there is you know the the one scene that they really share by themselves there is a familiarity there which you, you can kind of sense yeah it's I, 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 I think there's a sense from from Kyle that that Willa is someone who has sold out in a way yeah. that She's no longer the radical that wants to break animals out of their prison. You can tell that they very much loved each other and had so much in common, but had that had a certain moment of ideological breaking. I mean, I, I, I'm thinking about when I lived in an Occupy house for a little while. I've had several conversations with people who that's why their relationship broke up. Like one of them felt the other was being a little too much of a tourist in a way about it. Um or, or the, you know, she wants to work within the system. She'd rather reform zoos. She, it seems to be the direction she's going. She certainly seems to believe that a human and an animal can have a, a, an extremely strong emotional bond. And that, uh, sure. Now, now she, Kyle seems to suggest that she's not really keeping Sophie in the best positions for her. She may be the overprotective helicopter parent to this gorilla, to this gorilla in a lot of ways. Um, she is certainly if this were a human baby, she would be, you know, not letting them out of the house very often. Um, but and Kyle seems to believe that, no, the very idea of forming a bond with an animal is wrong. The very idea of saying we can take an animal out of its habitat and have it live with us is the fallacy. Um, they they seem to disagree on that major point, And that is the point which their relationship cannot stand. Yeah, because I, I mean, I don't know that I necessarily want to get into a big discussion about the like philosophy of zoos, but yeah. you know, you you certainly can make the argument that that um, zoos are important because they show people 
uh, how complex and and beautiful these animals are and blah, blah, blah. But you could also make a very strong argument that they are still terrible because they're keeping animals in captivity. I mean, I I don't necessarily have a very well-formed opinion about the existence or, or non-existence of zoos, but I think it's important that the episode is kind of, it has that character yeah. in it to ask those questions. And, you know, it also it also has some animals in it, which I also don't think is incidental. Yeah. Like, this is an episode that went out and got an elephant somewhere. And you know, probably took really good care of it because the, you know, PETA is always on set for these kind of things. Um, at least, well, I don't, I don't know. I guess maybe in Canada, it's the Royal Society for Animals or something. But, but. Well, apparently, I, I'm just at the Wikipedia page. There was, they, they were not able to film this in British Columbia because of certain animal uh, laws. Uh, uh, and uh, they ended up filming the elephant scenes in South Surrey. Oh, interesting. Where? But yeah. that's in British Columbia. I don't know. I think Wikipedia is full of shit. Um, yeah, well, I think that's, you know, the the animals in the episode are, are fine. And I think that, you know, obviously oh, the whole thing about them being... Sorry, what? It Sorry, it says the uh, elephant thoroughly enjoyed the truck. <laughs> Not really sure what that means, but okay. From the beginning of the episode. Enjoyed the truck? Apparently, you know the scene where the the truck driver, you know, stops short. Oh. Apparently, and they they were worried about the elephant. You know, would find that scene stressful, but the apparently the elephant had a great time filming that scene. Oh, that's good. I'm glad the elephant <laughs> had a good time. I like elephants. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think that there's there is an element to which this episode is strange because it does feature animals so strongly, but at the same yeah. time, it, it's obvious that that uh, uh, the gorilla Sophie is a guy in a suit. So, I mean, you know, you can't really have people share scenes with gorillas because gorillas are, are kind of unpredictable and very, very dangerous. Yeah. And that makes sense to me. I get that. But, but you know, what is that? What is, does that mean anything? I don't know. It just, it just strikes me as kind well, of odd for the episode to make that choice. Also, you can teach a gorilla sign language, but I'm not sure if you can teach a gorilla to act yet. But, so you know, certainly that's that. I, I don't know how accurate the ASL used was, but... I wouldn't imagine it wouldn't be. Oh, yeah, I'm sure it was fine. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that, that in terms of, of, you know, moving aside from, from the animal rights stuff, because, you know, I think that, yes, animals have rights and they should be taken care of, is what do you make of the alien stuff? Do you, do you feel like this is kind of tacked onto oh, the episode it, or is it something that is important for the episode? You know, it, it I I had no idea what the hell the... I mean, the alien stuff does kick off the plot, but it does seem more of just a catalyst for uh, the real story of this episode. Is are these weird feelings and expressions between Meacham, Willa, Kyle, and the gorilla? They, they, this is a weird situation which explodes in this episode, and the aliens don't really directly deal with it, but they set off the the their abductions of the animals set off a series of stresses and also provide somewhat of a cover for this murder plot to happen yeah no i think that's right and and you know boulder's voiceover at the end of the episode which which tries to to tie all this up is talking about the aliens being the the protectors of of the you know the animals and man is destroying them and blah 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 and okay that's fine yeah it was it was stupid in the best way i guess um and I don't know, maybe it's just because I enjoyed the plot of the rest of the episode. I thought it was 
a cool sh- a le- like the beginning of the beginning sequence with this invisible elephant running through town was a really cool sequence if the explanation for that is well the aliens abducted the ali- the elephant did something involving pregnancy that i never really quite understood and accidentally because their their instruments were off they returned it 2 miles away and invisible for a little while like that's the answer for that and that's a very stupid answer but it produced some cool scenes well yeah exactly and i, I think the implication is at least from what i was getting from the end of of the episode in Mulder's voiceover is that that the theory is that the aliens were taking these animals impregnating them and then taking the baby right and so that was the whole thing about sophie being scared about getting pregnant she wants a baby but but she was afraid of light etc etc well i guess they do say that no baby has ever come to term and willa does say as part of the episode's more thematic point few babies it is very difficult for animals in captivity to to have babies it's just the stress of the environment again one of the reasons that uh, that uh, the newer forms of zoos seem to be based on uh, making the natural because of yes who would feel who would feel desirable in a cage that's that's not uh the best situation for uh, reproduction but um i don't know go to stag in downtown portland on a saturday night and then you'll find that out yeah but 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 she says they haven't been carried to term but that to me suggests that you know the babies were born dead or that they found the, ba- the 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 corpse it's not that the the baby just disappeared i think that would be a different situation but remember right? she seemed shocked that ganesha was pregnant at all yeah and so the implication yeah. so, some, so what some, kind of well some of the animals had they've tried to breed the animals some of the animals have become pregnant but they have not been able to give birth the, the baby was yeah. stillborn or died or whatever um had a miscarriage who knows but but then there's this other part of it, which is that there yeah. are animals which have never been successfully bred that or show evidence no that they elephants. were pregnant. Yeah. And so the aliens apparently are taking the fetuses and making their own zoo or taking them to another planet or whatever. Who knows? Right. You know, it, it – but I guess the, the – I guess number one, it doesn't really matter in a way. It's just some weird stuff. And I also wonder if I'm supposed to be reminded of that – again, the one scene where – we had pregnant Scully in an alien ship. Yes, that's true as well. I mean, there's there's obviously there's obviously something anything, with the aliens yeah. about pregnancy. Yeah, if anything, it seems like that that part of this episode is just a subtle reminder. I'm going to choose to take that as a subtle reminder. Just associate aliens and pregnancy. Well, so so you you usually are the one that have crazy fan theories, but but I have a crazy fan theory. I'm ready. Oh my god, finally. So, so you know in the last episode they were talking about how the aliens were creating alien-human hybrids essentially yeah. to, I guess, be able to live on Earth and colonize it. Um, what yeah. if the aliens are the same aliens from, from Colony and Endgame that are using these animals to make like alien-elephant hybrids and alien-tiger hybrids? Because if you were an alien and you could do this, like, would you rather be a human or would yeah. you rather be an elephant? I'd rather be an elephant. That's pretty oh, cool. I, so I think that's oh, what yeah. they're doing. <gasps> okay, I believe in this. So I think there's, there's or maybe there, or or it's going to be some kind of. I mean, it doesn't have to be any one creature. They can take the intellect of of, of a human with the strength of an with the strength of an elephant with the speed of a tiger, kind of a thing. Yeah, I mean, build your own mix and match critter. I think that's what they're doing. Okay, so so in terms of 
Mulder and Scully in this episode. I mean, I don't think there's a lot to say. This is a very procedural heavy episode. This is very much an episode that is about what it is about and not really about character stuff necessarily, or at least Mulder and Scully. But they do get, I mean, because, you know, it's been a few episodes since they've come back. The X-Files have been reopened. I think this is probably one of the first standalone episodes since they've come back that have been successful. I don't think there's been a lot of them that have been that successful, frankly. Yeah. Um, And I think primarily why it works is because they have a really good chemistry together. And again, this is just one of those episodes that, you know, something revelatory. It's nothing that people are going to remember necessarily, but it's got a good through line and Mulder and Scully investigate the hell out of it. And they are actors in their own episode, which I think is very important. And they also get some good lines out. So altogether, I think it works for them very well. So, so maybe the last thing to talk about before we wrap this episode up then is is Ed Meacham because we haven't talked about him, yeah. and and I think that he's an interesting character because there's a obvious undercurrent of sexism going on with that character. If you'll yes. notice when he meets Mulder and Scully, he does he shakes Mulder's hand, he does not shake Scully's hand. Uh, Willa seems to think that he has a problem with her being a woman. There is this kind of idea of, I mean, I don't want to go so far as to say this is an episode about toxic masculinity or anything like that, but there is a case where there, there seems to be, and I don't know that this is necessarily a good thing, but, but kind of Willa is the person who wants to be like nicer to the animals and softer and more caring and more nurturing. And Ed is like the big bad man who doesn't care and just wants to shoot them all. Um, I think it's probably the well, one episode of one one area of the episode that is that is most undeveloped and and perhaps could have just been gotten rid of because I don't know that they know what to do with it. Well, I guess to say the episode does muddy the waters a little bit again by making it kind of suggesting that Willa isn't treating Sophie as well as she ought to be. I mean, the one that cares seems to care the most about the animals' well being and the most tippy dippy is Kyle, who is a man, so he certainly. Uh, seems to be advocating for an even, uh, even even less restraints than Willa is arguing, and but I um, but I think in a way Kyle is is still arguing from a very classically male perspective because he is saying they need to be out in the wild and take care of themselves, you know, like it's that kind of thing. I think the episode allows for all three of them to be wrong. Again, I think part of the episodes. The episode's major theme is that, yeah, zoos are kind of fucked up, yeah. and I, I I think it is clear that there is no real good answer to any of this. She does make the very uh, – she, she does make the solid point, oh, you know, I'm going to bring her – you know, we'll take her out of the cage and bring her into the wilds to be shot by poachers. Like, that, that there is – there are things that people believe that these animals need to be saved from, and in the case of endangered species, they are right. Um there does need to be something, and I think even though the suggestion is that Willa may not be doing enough, Willa is too busy doting on her gorilla daughter mm-hmm. to th- pay attention to the other animals. If if she has these flaws, um, certainly, I I I I guess it's well. I I, th- I I don't think yeah. I I don't think any of these characters are right, and I don't think the episode thinks any of the characters are completely right. Yeah, I would agree with that. I don't think that that. I, any of them are completely right or, or completely wrong. Well, maybe Ed Meacham yeah. is, but aside from that, you know. But I mean, Ed Meacham's point does have that one point where he, um, when he does shoot the tiger again, maybe that was a little that was strong of him. But his point, you know, they don't all just do sign language. Is yes, that tiger was about to attack and kill her. He did save her life. He did 
uh, that Tiger was a threat. Yes, and yes, that Tiger was acting from a threat from being held in captivity, certainly. Um, And again, I think going back to the episode's point of this is a wild, dangerous animal. Why are you fucking with it? Well, that that I think is the, the, the interesting part of the episode, right, is that there seems to be this undercurrent of, you know, is man over animals or not? And that's kind of the end of the the episode as well with the shot of the the church and, and its little slogan. Yeah. Um, because Kyle seemed, you know, when, when the other guy from the animal rights organization is, is killed by the tiger, Kyle's like, well, the tiger was doing what tigers do and there's really nothing to do with it. You know, they, he should not have been there and I can't really blame the tiger because he was doing what comes naturally to him. And Ed Meacham's position is fuck the tiger humans are what's most important i'm just going to murder it uh so i think that those are two very different ideas about about how how humans should engage with wild animals and my position i think is we probably shouldn't engage with wild animals like we should probably just let them do what they're going to do um and and but i don't know what willa's position is willa seems to be in this weird uh, this, Willow- this weird sort of middle ground, which I think probably started when she rescued the the gorilla, when she rescued yeah. Sophie. And, and that seems to also be the catalyst for her and Kyle sort of falling out as well. I mean, the episode isn't quite going into the, is it wrong to keep animals as pets kind of a thing? But at the same time, it does at least address certain of these. Again, a gorilla is not a child. A gorilla is... Sophie is not her daughter. She is being... You know, is is she forcing Sophie into a more human role? Is Is that morally incorrect? Well, yeah, there's a reason why Sophie doesn't have a bedroom in Willa's house. Because Sophie is a dangerous gorilla. Well, well, I thought the implication was that uh, Willa sleeps at the zoo because she, when when he's killed, she said, "Oh, I was in bed and I woke up and then I saw what was happening." Okay, okay. Well, she's got an apartment or something. I don't know what's going on there. Maybe yeah. she she sleeps in she sleeps in the cage next to Sophie. Who the fuck knows? Uh, uh, um, uh, uh, yeah, no, I think that's right. But I mean, my you know my point is really like she doesn't just have Sophie yeah. out walking around like because you don't know what Sophie's going to do and. I think that there's a there's a weird naivete on Willa's part in in terms yeah. of you know you can teach a gorilla to uh you know understand language and you can have a strong connection with the 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 gorilla but at the end of the day you still don't know what the gorilla is going to do because a gorilla is a wild animal uh, a gorilla yeah. is not a human and a gorilla is not a dog um and at the same time a gorilla I I I think the episode is I, I kind of agree with Kyle almost to the degree of a gorilla is not – even if you're putting the gorilla in a very nice uh, environment to do, is is it it may be still wrong to take it out of its uh, out of its cage. It might be too much in a way of a person. I mean we – with it is morally wrong to take another person and keep them into your environment no matter how nicely you are treating them. Um, right. I mean that's the that, – that's the, you know, you'll, you'll hear every so often that bullshit argument against, well, slaves were treated better than that. It doesn't fucking matter how they were treated. They were slaves. That, that that's, that's the line you're crossing. Right. And again, Kyle thinks that that line is crossed the moment you just look at this gorilla and call it Sophie. Um, I don't – I, I mean, I don't know if I agree to that degree, but I also don't know. It's an uncomfortable question to ask. I mean, right? 
Well, well, I think it, I think it really comes down to whether or not you believe that that humans are above animals or they are just animals. And you know, I I kind of think that that the episode leaves that vague, and I think that that's probably a, a good thing for the episode to do because all of the all of the view all of the viewpoints are are accounted for, and all of the viewpoints have their time. But at the end of the day, uh, some people died, and the animals were not really well taken care of. So, what yeah. what is really the most important thing here? Yeah, I mean the whole at the end it's being we hope that the animals are being shipped off to better zoos where they're they'll be better cared for and that's the closest the episode has to a happy ending. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe the last thing to mention before we we wrap this episode up is uh Mulder's brief foray into the future with video teleconferencing uh which apparently yeah. costs $150 an hour in 1995. So, that's pretty expensive. Uh <laughs> Almost as much as Bill Clinton's haircuts. I loved that line. There are moments when the the 90s-ness of this show just jump (laughs) out and strangle you a little bit, and that was definitely one of them. And also Mulder was doing that at JoJo's Copy Shop. So I just wanted to mention that as well because I love the idea of JoJo's JoJo's Copy Shop. (laughs) Well, yeah, because originally it was Joe's Copy Shop, but then he copied it. Oh, there you go. I like it. (laughs) <laughs> all right well i think that's it for this episode of the podcast if you have any thoughts on either of the episodes of the x-files we just discussed end game or fearful symmetry if you are a gorilla please send us a video fearful of you doing symmetry what it's it's fearful symmetry fearful symmetry try it comes from the blake it rhymes with i i don't know what you're talking about and i'm just <laughs> going to ignore you uh <laughs> You can check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. If you would like to give us some financial support, it would be very much appreciated. It also supports our other podcast, Truckabout, which you can find at truckaboutshow.com. We are doing Star Trek Voyager right now. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we are there. Tuning in show is our username. And as always, please leave us an iTunes review for tuning in. It is the best way for new people to find the show. Aside from a very expensive billboard, which if you give us enough money on Patreon, maybe we should make that a Patreon. Oh, a billboard. Okay. All right. So next week, we're actually getting towards the end of the season. There's uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven more episodes to go. Oh. We're talking about another another German one, Dodd-Kalm. I think that's German. And Humbug. Mac, why do you...